right, Luke Burrows. Uh, Nick Robinson had a emergency dentist so appointment, so he will be here at a later date. His uh, ETA is still um, With undetermined. super clean teeth. Yes, that's the one thing uh, to look out for for when he arrives. I'm really excited about the show. We have a lot to cover. We have a mailbag section, the first time we've done it on Barnburn. And I think actually for our show, maybe we did it once. Um, yeah. First year when we first started. Um, before we get to everything, though, I do want to remind everyone to download both the Barnburner and Zingo TV app available on both iOS and Android devices. Zingo TV is also available on Chromecast, Amazon Fire and Fire TV sticks, Roku and Roku sticks, also on all smart TVs 2016 and forward. Um, just the two of us for now. Luke, how are we doing today? We're doing really good. That's great. Um, so how are you doing, Pat? I'm great as always. Excited That's to be good. here. Excited that we're doing this again. Um, the NHL season is officially over, and unless you've been living under a rock, we all know at this point that the Tampa Bay Lightning are the 2019-2020 Stanley Cup champions. Honorable mention, Luke, you were right. Uh, Nick, one game wrong. off, one game, and one overtime goal off but it's whatever and i also got my cons my pick wrong but that's that's uh, fine that's up, that's up for debate I think, we can so. yeah we can talk about that um look i think once we saw even the games dallas won and look i was saying this before with dallas <clears throat> all the games they lost up until the stanley cup final they were looking unbelievable and i didn't really feel that the ones they did lose um was reflective of their play whereas here the ones they won tampa was still by and large the better team so I think there's just a matter like Tampa was due for this last year. The obviously the one of the bigger upsets we've seen losing four and uh to the Columbus Blue Jackets, they were due. And, you know, you can't really bet against Tampa's dynamic offense defense. John Cooper as a coach overall, Luke, what were your thoughts on this series and just Tampa Bay? Do you think they're maybe the next dynasty? No, no, uh, no, I wouldn't say so because I think if they were the next dynasty, they would be a dynasty. Now they would already have, at least another cup uh, in the past few years. But um, regardless, no, I, I think this series in particular, I don't think Dallas was ever in it. And that's not really Dallas's fault per se. Um, they didn't have a, it's not like they just shut down and had a terrible series. I, I think, like I said, coming into it, Tampa's just, Tampa's just too good. They're the same Tampa that they've always been. And they kind of seem to get it together this year for whatever reason. Uh, so I think, it, I think when they won, it's just kind of everyone's like, okay, finally, Tampa Bay has won a cup with with the core that they have. Should have done it, you know, in the past five years, but I don't think anyone's really surprised uh, that, they, that they've got a cup with, with the team they have. So do you you don't think they could win a cup or at least two cups, two more cups and less in the next five well, years? Well, I'm not saying like, it's not like, it's not like their, their core is – is, is coming up and it's, it's about to flip. They're not in that position. I just think, and I'm like, if you're going to use the term dynasty, they are on the later half, I would say of, of the current team. If they were to be labeled the dynasty, they should probably have already had at least another cup since like, I guess when they went to the finals in 2015, maybe, but even before then they were, they were pretty good. They went to the conference finals and, they went to game seven of the conference finals in 2011. And I think a lot about what would have happened if they won that game seven, but. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you there because I don't think they're on the latter half. Um, I think Tampa's a team. I likened them to Colorado earlier on that was good down, had a lot of good prospects in the system. Obviously they've all translated now, but Braden point still is only 24 years old. Anthony Sorelli's 22. I believe they still have um, 
core pieces. So maybe they won't. And it also depends on what your definition of a dynasty is. I think if you can win in this era, the cap era, having 31 teams now, I think if you can at least win two, two more cups in the next seven years, I think that would, I don't know if it constitutes a dynasty, but it still yeah, shows that. I, like I was really, I would like, I was really hanging on to that, that the term dynasty. I don't think, I, I just, I don't think they're, they're there. Yeah. If they win two in the next seven is yeah, no. Yeah. If they win two between now and the end of the 26, 27 season. Yeah. I guess. Um, It'd be a dynasty for period. this yeah. era. It wouldn't be a dynasty yeah. in general. Cause dynasties obviously back then um, were different when Montreal won all the cups. Anyway, let's uh, I don't remember that. To be okay. Honest, but... Well, let's uh, let's talk about the cons my pick because this was one that I think a lot of people thought could go either way, but I, think i know i was i know you were judging by your pick leaning more towards Braden point winning but victor hadman won it um do you agree with that what are your thoughts on on him winning the concert i don't not agree with it um it's it's just kind of two really strong candidates and i think point people are more eager people are more eager to point to point because he's the offense that that kind of carried tampa through this run not to say okay like obviously Stamkos not considered not to say Kucherov wasn't Kucherov but Point really stepped up and carried Tampa offensively through this run but Victor Hedman um even as a defenseman like he he contributed to the offense as well but I just I don't think it's fair to compare what he does um and what what Point put up on paper so it's it's a bit more it's a it's a bit more difficult to to analyze i think any kind of defenseman's uh con smythe argument that being said both of them were fine fine candidates for me yeah i think and it, it's tough because i'm looking at both their stat lines it's so unbelievably impressive 33 yeah. points in uh 23 playoff games uh 14 goals like that's unreal from raven point and then you look at victor hedman uh 22 points he had 10 goals like i think that amount of points for a defenseman I guess technically is more impressive but still like you look at so many other centers this playoffs or prolific players who struggled to put up points at consistently um Tyler Sagan is a perfect example not that they're on the same level but it still shows that doing it that consistently I think whether it goes to point or headman I think it's they both deserve it and um yep. I, I wouldn't be upset at either one of them but I still was leading um Braden point we're going to keep going. Um, so they have 10 million in to shed over the next two weeks. So you have Sorelli, Sergachev, Palat, um, Kalorn, who are all candidates to move away. Who do you think Tampa will look to move on to? I know I'm thinking Alex Kalorn. He's older. He's not really that effective of an NHL player uh, compared to what people think he does on the ice as like a gritty big player. But um, who do you think they move on from? I, I kind of agree with Kalorn and uh, well, I think we'll get into a second why I'm not a huge fan of Kalorn right now. <laughs> um, but I don't, I think Sorelli's a no brainer to hang on to uh, at least in, in my book. Um, Kalorn and Palat are kind of in the same, the same sort of ballpark for me. That being said, I mean, now that I'm, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, strictly from like a business hockey and I don't know what their what their contracts are right now or anything strictly from a hockey perspective I guess maybe Palat 
but I'd probably agree with you on the Kalorn pick. Sergachev, I wouldn't really consider either. Um, I don't think they need to kind of pull pull the trigger on on doing something with him at this point. No, I I agree completely. Andre Palat again, fine NHL player, fine yeah. on the third line, maybe the second line, but um, I would say Kalorn and Palat are two players that wouldn't really hurt them for moving on from. But you also have to look at um, who they have, like. Barkley Joe's one more year before being a UFA. Um, the one I'm really interested to see what happens with is Mikhail Sergachev because he was someone where you could expect him to take a lower pay cut given the fact that he was he had Hedman and McDonough um, and Shattenkirk around him, maybe keep his production down, sign a cheaper deal. Um, I think they'll go with him, but I honestly think Palat and Klorn are two players that if they were to let go of or move, it wouldn't hurt them that much. Um, the interesting one is Anthony Sorelli because given their cap situation, he is 23, sorry, not 22. And he's an RFA at the end of the season. One of the best two-way centers in the entire league. Um, definitely top five for me. Do you think there's a chance he gets offer sheeted? Cause this is such a sort of specific he's... thing that doesn't happen often. We saw it last year with Sebastian Ajo, but if there is an offer sheet, and we've seen this on Twitter. We've seen a lot of people talk about it. If there's anyone who's going to get offer sheeted, it's most likely going to be Anthony Sorelli. What do you He's think? He's a really good candidate. Um, like, like I, I don't, it's almost hard to explain, but I think everyone kind of agrees. There's certain, there's just a certain player, not the best of the best RFAs, but there's certain, there's kind of a, a tier where they just, you know, it's a good candidate to be offer sheeted. If that makes sense, it might not make sense at all, but oh, he's definitely there because he's not, you know, he's not, he's not like an absolute lock. This team needs to bring him back. They need to sign him long-term. It's more of a, you know, this team, does he, does he fit in with where they're going? Does he fit in with their system? Um, and Sorelli, like you said, you can't, you couldn't really go wrong with him. Um, he's made a huge case for his defensive abilities this year, but it'll be interesting because, the arguments like that, that the arguments that you would argue for keeping Sorelli, those arguments, some teams would say, yeah, but maybe not, maybe they're not worth it because Tampa doesn't have a ton of uh, money to spend this off season. So definitely, definitely a, a strong candidate to be offer sheeted, but also definitely not, you know, not one of the best RFAs coming up this year. So it, it just falls into that weird, yeah. The middle tier. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see because you have Bogosian, Shattenkirk, um, UFAs on defense. Uh, obviously, the notable RFA is Mikhail Sergachev. And then up front, you have uh, obviously Sorelli, the big one. And I, I ha- if I were to put money on anyone getting offer sheet, and if there were to be an offer sheet, I would do it today. And I would say that Anthony Sorelli will be the one. Um, okay. Let's, uh, we're still going to talk about Tampa because this is something that on the opposite end of things is gaining a lot of conversation on Twitter. You and I talked about it briefly before the show, and that is how the, I guess, okay, they're partying during COVID. Let's just, let's just get to it. Um, And I remember when we were sort of teeing up the bubble, we were curious about how the cup was going to be delivered, how they were going to everyone spend a day with the cup. I think we all sort of came to the conclusion, at least we assumed that players would, I don't know, drive down Tampa with, distance from fans and then everyone would get a day with the cup obviously that's not the case because there are plenty of videos and i know nick's gonna hop on soon to uh show them of tampa there was one with Kalorn, um and i 
not remember who, not sure who the other person was, but they were pouring uh, beer in the Stanley Cup to a fan. Yeah. They were just in this like COVID cesspool. It's COVID central there. Um, what do you think about this, Luke? Yeah, so like it just kind of it just kind of sucks because the NHL absolutely nailed it in the bubbles, COVID wise, zero cases throughout the entire process of of these this playoff tournament. And then immediately after Tampa wins, they're, they're planning the, a parade. They're, they're partying downtown Tampa. And it's like, well, hold on. Like, why are you doing that? That, so let me just, I did some research now <laughs> analytics. I know we're going to get into that shortly. I'm not, but the state of Florida is third in cases per capita in the USA positive rate on a seven day rolling average of COVID cases in Ontario, it's 1.5%. In California, it's 2.8. In the country of the USA, it's 4.7. In the state of Florida, it's 11%. So 11% of people that are getting tested in Florida are testing positive, seven-day rolling average. That was yesterday's data. Governor Rick DeSantis, I think within the last week, opened up, he, he opened up, you know, kind of the economy uh well, opened up being, the bars right yeah so and, and i i triple checked this restaurants can't cannot operate at less than 50 percent without good reason they can't anti-maskers cannot be fined for not wearing a mask um those are just two side things i noticed but florida is is far far away from from getting over this this hump in in covid in in the pandemic really and tampa comes back from edmonton and they there just seems to be no no concern it's not at first i thought okay they're all on boats the team is still pretty isolated but they're attracting all these fans but then you see no they're just they're in there mingling with the fans and nobody's wearing masks it's just it just sucks to see it and it's obviously it's not the nhl's fault the nhl can't really you know do anything about that but but in a way, do you think it's embarrassing for the NHL? No, the Unfa- NHL unfairly so. It is, yeah. yeah. Like it's like, like it's... our team, like yeah, the Tampa Bay a team in the NHL is doing this. The NHL has no say in it, right? Like they've won the cup. They're it's up to the team. It's up to the city. It just it's it sucks to see this happening after such a successful operation run in Edmonton and Toronto. Exactly, and look, the NHL administered thirty three thousand seven hundred and fourteen. COVID tests, zero positive cases. They are, it's like the most perfect proof that social distancing and, and being in a bubble and self-isolation and taking the proper precautions actually works. And the moment you go out of there, you're going to, you're most likely going to get sick, especially in a state that's not been taking it seriously uh, like Florida. So we're going to pull up the video shortly, but I don't know if you saw this. He said when he was, they were all on the stage and they were talking to the fans um, Kaloran gave a shout out to Ron DeSantis. He said, I want to thank the governor for opening the bars just in time for the boys. Thank you. I think this, uh, look, we can get into what their rights are. And this is sort of a, a sketchy conversation to have about the rights of people, uh, what they can and cannot do. Can they go to a bar? Is it their right for someone not to be allowed to go and all that stuff. But looking at the death toll, COVID has hit it's mil- over a million now, um, deaths from this virus and, 
a lot of people are struggling with it. A lot of people have, you know, the nurses that are working hours and hours and hours on end, the people that have sacrificed so much for this to see, you know, a bunch of players who were taken care of the moment this thing started, who had the means to take care of themselves the moment this pandemic started, who had every single thing looked after them and, and cleaned uh, endlessly during the bubble, say thank you for opening the bars. I think it's really disrespectful. And I think, yeah. um, I, I know they're drinking and maybe that's probably part of the influence there, but I think it's really stupid. And to see all of them, look, he went to Harvard, Alex Clore went to Harvard and know that. Um, it's just, it's so stupid to see all these. I'm surprised players. no one said anything like, like Stamkos is down there. Like all these headmen is down there, all these leaders on that team and kind of, you know, faces of the NHL and, to be fair, I was kind of looking for Samco specifically in all these videos, and I haven't actually really seen him. But regardless, like, this is a professional hockey team, and yeah. no one is really saying, hold on, maybe this isn't a good idea, or this isn't a good look for our team. Yeah, and and I, I just goes back, and I'm, I'm going to repeat what I said, just because it, it really is, uh, I guess it's the height of privilege for NHL players who are making millions and millions of dollars. Everything is looked after them food transportation they make so much money and everything is taken care of and then they just sort of it almost puts it to waste in a way to go out and live and live like this and and we can get into if it's their right to do that if you want to touch on that because technically they can do it and they are allowed to go to bars and they are allowed to party and, and mix it in with with people in the public that's their right but i think um i don't know after having everything handed to you this entire time to do that uh, it does a disservice to the people who looked after you. And it just makes you look like an idiot to be completely honest. And the yeah, fact that I, in this, yeah. the video where he's, he's, he's celebrating Ron DeSantis's ability to open the bars, all the players are celebrating. It's like, okay, well, were they even taking it seriously? Did they need a bubble? Did they want a bubble? So um, anything else you want to add on that? No, I feel like we could talk about that for a long, yeah. long time, but probably maybe isn't a good idea. Yeah. And I, this is, Okay, actually, I wanted to ask this before I move on to uh, this is about the cup. <clears throat> so this is the kind of cup that means a lot when a team wins it. Obviously, given the pandemic, given the bubble, um, not being able to see their family, not really traveling, being stuck in one spot. It means a lot once you win it. But do you also think this is a cup that would be easier to swallow the loss because of the circumstances? Yeah, so oh, yeah. And I think it's kind of for for two different reasons one being it's just like it's just chaos like the system is chaos the, the playoffs are is chaos it was super fun to watch but it's not at all you know how things normally go so i think losing and kind of looking looking back on that hello nicholas hello boys hello, Nick. um, um we're, we're talking about uh oh. we're, we're just kind of wrapping up the lightning and we're talking about if the uh losing the cup is a bit easier to swallow with how everything was this year. So I think, yes, um, just it, the way the playoffs went losing, it's just kind of like, okay, we're, we're kind of okay yeah. with that. And then the total other flip side of that is it came out later in the playoffs, how difficult it was to be in that bubble in terms of not seeing your family. Um, and I'll be honest as a fan, when Vancouver lost, I'm like, okay, like that sucks. But you know, Bo Horvat gets to go home and see his, newborn right. and all these all these dads get to go home and see their family so it you know 
Right. So uh, real quick, Nick, uh, welcome. Hope your teeth are fine. Let's, yes, uh, teeth are good. <laughs> okay. We actually just talked about Tampa and partying during COVID and we'll circle back to that because I know we have some stuff we can pull up and I want to hear your thoughts. Um, specifically Alex, I know we're, we're saying Alex Kaloran specifically because he's the one in the videos, but it really is the entire team. And basically what Luke and I were talking about was how, you know, these are players who had everything taken care of, taken care of for them that the NHL administered over 30,000 tests to have no cases. It was proof that bubbling works and in self-isolation works and you see them leave and they're sharing drinks with people in public who could be exposed to COVID could have COVID Kalorn uh, congratulated or, or gave credit to Ron DeSantis on opening the bars for the boys. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on this entire thing? Uh, welcome back, by the way. Yeah. Thank you guys. Um, you know, in complete honesty, just everything that's transpired so far with the lightning since they won completely disappointing. I have it pulled up on the screen here, him giving a shout out to the Florida governor. It's there it is just in time for the boys opening the bars. It, this entire thing since they won the cup has been so tone deaf to me. I think I get that these players have been locked up for the better part of two months and you know, they're only now back out in the real world with the rest of us here. But I mean, they have to have been seeing what's been going on since they've been in that bubble. And, you know, just to hop out and pretend like everything is normal now, uh, you know, it's completely irresponsible. It sends a bad message. It's a bad look for all of them. And, you know, like I said, it's completely tone deaf right now. That's sort of how I feel about it. And it's the height of privilege, what Luke and I were saying, to Absolutely. have everything taken care of for you just to sort of sabotage it and, and put other people at risk. And we also touched on like technically, and I think we could all agree, even though we might not agree, but they're right. It is their right to do that. If they want to go to a bar, it is their right. But I think something as professional as NHL, NHL players who um, should be a lot smarter would know, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to do that. Yeah, it the is thing their is like, right. It's their right to choose. Like any person has the freedom to do whatever they want, no matter how much, you know, guys like us can sit here and say how stupid it looks. But at the end of the day, I've always been of the opinion when you are a person that's of high public esteem, like a professional athlete is, they need to be doing better in the public eye. And this is just an example of it. They need to be doing better, need to be showing a better example for fans, for people that are watching them, no matter what they just won or what they're celebrating. Forget any of that. It's, you know, and I feel like this is something we're only going to see with hockey players, which is the unfortunate part. It comes back to, you know, this is just the culture of the NHL. This is like, it's always been tone deaf in big moments like this. And I doubt we're going to see NBA champions out partying in the cities or anything like that. Uh, I know over in England, Premier League champions Liverpool weren't celebrating any title win when they were out. And that was after a 30 year drought. Um, you know, this, this is something like I feel like is only going to happen in hockey. And it's, you know, it's pretty disgusting that the Tampa Bay lightning have uh, stooped to it. And that sort of segues to like, if you're look, if you're someone like Pat Maroon or someone, you may never have a chance to, compete for a Stanley cup, play another uh, playoff game. You don't know what your future, what lies ahead in your future. And if you're that NHL player, are you really going to say, no, I'm not going to miss this once in a lifetime opportunity. That's the only, and I'm not trying to, I guess I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Cause I don't agree with that. But if you're a Stanley cup champion, are you, who is going to be the one to say, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to go with the team that I battled with throughout this entire playoffs. I'm not going to go with some of my best friends, some of the, the best coaches I've ever had 
and celebrate something I might not be able to celebrate again. Maybe they're okay with it. Maybe they're so, you know what, fine. Um, you know, usually typically the healthiest people who get COVID can be fine, but there's still those anomalies. Maybe they're just saying, fine, you know what? I'll risk it. Cause I need to celebrate. Cause I might not have the chance again. That's the only sort of rationale. I get that. But at the end of the day, the upper management of the lightning, whether it's coaches, GMs, ownership should be putting some sort of sanctions in place saying, should have said beforehand, I do not want to see partying in the streets. That's just for player safety. And at the end of the day, it's about public health and public safety. And it's irresponsible because they not only themselves are they putting themselves at yeah. risk, they are attracting massive crowds like we've seen in the videos that are all over the internet right now. Massive crowds ganging up sort of at the harbors to see them boat in. Like it's it's insane. And I think we've all learned throughout the pandemic is you can't just say, you know what, like, I'll take the risk. I, I'm not going to social distance. I think we all know you saying that doesn't only put yourself at risk. Like, right. I, I, think- I agree with that. But saying it draws crowds, it's still the crowd's choice to also go. It's not but, like, but you like, you have to think, you know what, as, as a professional hockey team, maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't even open up this opportunity or this. Right. Position, okay. Yes. You know? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on from that because that's, a solid uh, 25 minutes actually about the Tampa Bay lightning. Um, let's talk about other major news and a, someone who didn't get to win the Stanley cup yet. And that is Henrik Lundqvist. He was a seventh round pick in the year 2000, 205th pick overall. Um, he was the starter in New York since 2005 and the New York Rangers bought him out. Uh, it's sad news. Henrik Lundqvist was someone who always deserved a cup and, um, he was always one that was talked about as one of the worst or one of the better players or one of the best players to not win a Stanley cup. Um, and I think there could be some truth to that. What do you think about this, Nick? Well, living legend, uh, Henrik Lundqvist, his name just carries an aura about it. You know, everybody who is a hockey fan in this generation knows who Henrik Lundqvist is. We can go on and on and on about his many, many accomplishments. He has been arguably the premier goaltender of the NHL since the year 2005, 06. He, you know, the model of consistency, he's always been brilliant for the Rangers. And Patrick, I'm sure you and I can both speak to the fact that, you know, there's definitely been some nights where we've been balled up on the couch, punching yes. the couch, uh, especially in the playoffs. I know we've each uh, yes. cheered for teams that have come up against him a couple of times. The guy's a living legend. And, you know, this was coming in some sort of way. A breakup between the Rangers and Lungfist seemed to be evident uh, with the rise of Igor Shesterkin and uh, Alexander Georgiev. But, you know, it is sad that it did have to end this way with a buyout. Um, but, you know, maybe I prefer it to seeing him traded directly to some other team. But I think we all, to some degree, would have liked to see him win the Cup with the Rangers at some point, perhaps when they had that chance in 2014. I know I was cheering for them hard, but uh, sad that it had to end this way. But unfortunately, it was something that I think we all saw coming. Yeah, I think... Well, I know I can speak. There were plenty, especially 2014, especially playing against Henrik Lundqvist. So hard to beat him when he's on his game. And for an older player, even when he was, when people thought he was past his prime, he was still playing some unbelievable hockey. So um, Luke, will ask you, what do you think about this? Do you think it was the right move, especially with Georgiev and Shesterkin coming yeah, in? Yeah, like similar sentiments to you guys. I think business-wise, it makes total sense. It, like I, I like the move for the Rangers. Um, Emotions-wise, it kind of sucks to see like, I, I don't really know um, how much they would have considered keeping him around because I don't really think that would make sense. Uh, but yeah, like Lundqvist, 
if he if he puts on another jersey other than the Rangers jersey, that's going to look super weird. That's going to I don't know what I'll think of that. It's it it's tough. He never really had you know major major success. Well, no, he did. I take that back. He had tons of success with the Rangers, but yeah, no cup. That kind of hurts. Yeah, but I don't think you can deny business wise. It was kind of the the right decision. Yeah, and I think the the letter that the Rangers put to their fans when they said, look, we've been trying to build something and obviously something isn't going well, something's not working. I'm not pointing to Henrik Lundqvist, but when they sort of announced their rebuild and started to get younger and some would say get lucky uh, in that process, there was potential that, you know, can they expedite it so he can at least have a couple playoff runs? And obviously that wasn't the case and that's not how rebuilds work. That's not how you build the team. You can't really rush that process. So, um, you mentioned it, Luke, him in another Jersey would look weird, but I still think he can play hockey. I think we can, all, we can all agree. He can still play hockey. Sure. I don't think he's going to retire. I think he's going to go somewhere else. So I'll start with you, Luke. Where do you think he ends up one team or two team? Uh, where do you think he can go? I think, and I, I feel like we kind of talked about it last week. A lot of these, um, these kind of older, but still quality goalies are, are hitting the market. Um, I've heard about Vancouver as an option. I'd consider it kind of the same thing when we were talking about Flurry. Uh, I'd consider it just as, you know, a one, two year buffer, maybe. Um, but I definitely wouldn't push for it. But there's a lot of teams that are in that position where they just, they need something short term now. And I think we can all agree if Lundquist signs, it's going to be short term. I don't see why it'd be long term. But um, there are a lot of teams that are in that position. Uh, you know, I, I think anyone that kind of has has a, a Thatcher Demko, I I could see um I'm I'm thinking about Ottawa just for your interest. Nick. I don't know. Not, not gonna happen. It's yeah, not I'd, gonna happen. He's too much of a name and too far along but, in his career to okay, speak to yeah. Ottawa. I just, right, yeah, well, I just if you want to sit on that, we'll jump to uh, Nick. And I have two teams here that I think would be fine. Um, and Nick, we'll start with you, though. Who do you think they could uh, they could go with? Uh, the one that's starting to jump out for me, especially in news that Corey Crawford may not be coming back, is the Chicago Blackhawks. They are one of the big marketable franchises of the NHL. And that's what I think Lundqvist is going to eye to. He's not only going to want to go to a good team. I think he's going to want to go to a team that has a big fan base and that can continue to market him because he is, I think we can all agree, one of the most marketable personalities in the NHL uh, besides his talent. So I can see Chicago uh, being able to put together a good offer for him. I don't think he's going to go for very much. He's made his money. Um, another one that I can see, because there's also rumors of a goalie switch that might happen there at some point, is the Boston Bruins. I can see that. I think Yarrow Halak is up at the end of this year. And uh, Tuka Rask looks like he could be moving on. There seems to be constant rumors there. And I definitely can see Boston being interested in it. And that's more so a pick if he definitely wants to chase after a Stanley Cup. So I can see him being a fit with the Boston Bruins as well. Unless I'm way off. I thought they re-signed Halak. So I'm going, no, they didn't. No, uh, I, no I, U, I, UFA I next year. Yeah. Okay. okay. So my two teams were different than yours. And I'm looking at if he wants to contend and he wants to win a cup, um, my first team to look at 
would be the Vegas Golden Knights because if we were to assume that Marc-Andre Fleury is on his way out and Robin Leonard is the guy, you're going to put Garrett Sparks as your backup or Oscar Denks, who's probably a fine AHL goalie. I don't see why he couldn't be an, a, a backup for Leonard in, um, in Vegas. And again, they're a team that I think is extremely marketable. Everyone seems to want to play there. Great city, great players, the fan, the way, the way Vegas is playing hockey is super exciting. They're well coached. They have depth. I think Vegas could be a good fit. My other one, and this one would be weird, but I think it's a similar situation as the Vegas Golden Knights, and that's the Washington Capitals. And same thing, we're assuming, like Marc-Andre Fleury, we're going to assume that Braden Holtby is gone and Ilya Samsonov is the starter. You have Phoenix Copley and Vitek Vanashek. Um, I don't know much about Vanashek, but again, you have two starters and you need a backup, and these are two teams that have a great fan base. People want to play there. They have great players, great depth. And if he wants a backup role on a team that can still go on a run, I think these are the two, uh, the best options for him. What do you guys think? I, I, I like Washington. Um, they're, yeah, they're kind of in that, in that position that I mentioned. I don't, I don't really see the Vegas move. Uh, Nick, I don't know if, if you would, I see Vegas more than Washington. Washington. I could see Vegas again on the sort of marketing standpoint. I think it's a market that he could do really well in Uh, Washington. I could also see, but to a lesser degree to Vegas and the two uh, I went with, but again, that's, that's a fit as well, uh, depending on what they're doing in the net there. If Lundqvist still wants to come in and battle for time with Samsonov, um, but yeah, those are two solid ones, Patrick. So I just wait, I wouldn't see I wouldn't why, see Vegas dropping Flurry and picking up Lundqvist in would their we agree goalie making decision. That Lundqvist is better than Flurry and probably cheaper anyway. I cheaper, think they're about cheaper even sure. at this juncture of their career in terms of what they offer in the net. Maybe Lundqvist is somebody I would trust more. Okay, but. Uh, just to, in terms of contract, I think he's going to be a lot cheaper right now. Yes. Than is. Yeah. That's what you've like, we touched on earlier. He's made, he's made his money. He wants to win. And I think if I, if I'm an NHL player and I want to win, I would go to Vegas before I'd go to, um, Washington personally. But I think those two are, are, are likely destinations. I saw someone say Calgary and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I've been very adamant about Calgary, uh, and my dislike for them. I think they're pretty overrated. I don't think they're in a position to win now or, or next year, the year after. I think they have a lot of work to do. Um, on their roster but we'll see I'm excited to see where he goes um, and it it should be interesting I don't think he goes well he could go to Ottawa but I don't know Nick wouldn't uh, Nick wouldn't um, appreciate that let's uh, let's move on and we actually got some news on this from um, Elliot Friedman about 10 minutes ago and that is that Oliver Ekman Larson looks like he's on the move Um, and from what we've heard Edmonton could be one of the front runners they would have to move salary out obviously uh, not to toot my own horn, but I did predict Ekman Larson to Edmonton uh, a couple weeks ago. So anyway, um, we've talked about Ekman Larson. I've said countless times that he is one of the more overrated defense in the league, carried by his name, carried by perceived value. Look, not a lot of us. Actually, I, I would assume that none of us watch a lot of Arizona Coyotes games. I think he's someone where if you actually watch them, he's not that impress- impressive. Um, someone like Jacob Chikrin is a lot more uh, dynamic of a player, but Ekman Larson still has that name and that perceived value. And I can't wait to see what happens because I think someone's going to overpay for him. What do you think about this? Um, Nick, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm not surprised by it at all. Uh, TSN actually, uh, we talked a lot about their top 10 trade board last week. They pumped it up to 50 
uh, today. And Ekman Larson is number one on that list. So really not surprising considering the amount of conversation that we've begun to see around his name, but yeah, I, like, I don't know. I don't know that Vancouver is a fit. I don't know how, I still don't know how they make it work salary wise because he is a big ticket and you know, he's not the type of player I think Vancouver is going to be targeting Boston. I could see because uh, you know, they sort of like big names and I, but again, I'm not sure what they could offer and how they would make it work salary wise. Right. So let's so just, it, it, it's, it's an interesting uh, proposition for anybody to acquire Ekman Larson, because like you said, Pat, he's probably got more perceived value. He is a big name, but uh I, I'm not sure right now who's going to be lining up to take on an $8 million contract in the current cap climate. Right. So let's just, cause Friedman tweeted um, Ekman Larson's list for now is believed to be, <clears throat> is believed to include rather uh, Boston and Vancouver. Things can always change. Um, Edmonton would be, would be a weird one. Cause it looks like they want to re-sign um, Nugent Hopkins. And I know I, I had some sort of deal in my head revolved around those two. Um, Luke, what do you think? And we'll, we'll start with Vancouver because that's one of the teams there. And then we'll get to Boston after because they have a different situation with Krug. But Vancouver, is, is Ekman Larson a player you want them to go after? And does it make sense for Vancouver to do that? No, no one, no, no. Um, Vancouver has defense problems, especially with uh, me. some, hey, um, with some offseason decisions that they're going to have to make. And Oliver Ekman Larson is not the solution there. I don't think at all, unless they're going to retain or, or take on, take on a, a Jay Beagle contract. I, there's no, no, no reason Jim Benning should be making that move. Uh, and they wouldn't do either of those things anyways. That being said, I can absolutely see Jim Benning making that move um he's he's done this before you know taking on a heavy contract not not a terrible player at the time uh taking on a big name on a heavy contract and it's like everyone knows you know it's probably not going to work out but let's see for the first year and then after the first year you're like yeah that was a okay bad trade. well so, I, I, I was gonna, just I, about to read that Drager tweet that okay you, uh, pull it up luke because you're not going to be happy darren Drager says boston arizona were engaged in trade discussions for oliver ekman larson prior to bill armstrong's arrival not an easy transaction transaction vancouver as my colleague uh elliot friedman noted is the other team on ekman larson's list sharpen your pencils canucks fans and try um and try to make the numbers work on that. So like, Oh no, like it, I'm not even going to sharpen my pencil. That doesn't <laughs> like, there's no reason that needs to happen. It, I just, I, I re- and I really want to hope, you know, when Benning kind of, kind of looks at what he has to give up for, for making this deal, he has so many issues with money already over the next two off seasons, do not add this to the equation. I think a lot of Vancouver's issues are coming from within and making decisions on the players you have now. Do not add, and not to say Ekman Larson's a bad defense, he's not, but I think we all know, I think we all look at that contract and think the same thing. Do not add this to, to the, yeah, the jumble of of um, 
of components to the decisions you're going to have to make. Now, I know Boston has Krug and Chara coming off the books, but they would obviously have to move money out in the situation, I would think, because other than that, like, otherwise, I'm not sure how exactly they make this work. Well, that's the thing. And, and for Ekman Larson's contracts, he has seven years remaining before he's a UFA at 8.25 million. Um, obviously, the no move clause included. Uh, look, if you're, if you're Vancouver, I don't know why you would do that. And again, Jim Benning, he's another one that people are split on. I don't know. Sometimes I don't, I don't know what he's doing and I don't know what his plan is. And it seems like there's so much Benning? potential. Yeah. Like there's so much potential right now with, with the big three you have. Um, and then you have some promising prospects like Bacolson and Hoglander. Um, not going to say Yuli Abbey, but they're on the right path. And we'll touch on Boston in a second. I'm sorry to jump back to Vancouver, but Ekman Larson doesn't do anything for them. You have to bank the, the future on Quinn Hughes. He is your top pair left defenseman. He is the driving offensive force. And you're probably going to want to give him a lot of money. Why would you also, you know, strap yourself to 8.25 Ekman Larson? Also, people know that the Arizona Coyotes they're in a desperate situation right now. They're going to want to shut off these contracts. They're going to want to get younger. They're going to want to try and rebuild. As we all know, they don't have a first round pick, second round pick, or third round pick, or a first round or third round pick next year. They're in a desperate situation. And I, I don't think teams should be in a possession unless Vancouver's getting a couple firsts back or maybe some futures to do this. Um, do you want to add on that or should we jump over to, should we jump over to Boston? Cause no, I, I just know if Vancouver makes this trade, it's going to be, um, it's going to be for, for now on both sides, just Benning is going to, he's going to make a move that, mm-hmm. that, that is just, you know, add that one final piece and then they're good. And there's not going to be a lot of future involved and it's just going to anyways. Okay. Well, we'll touch on Boston now. Cause I, I, Nick brought it up and then I went back to Vancouver, but Boston, um, they're reported to be interested or at least a candidate. And he's obviously a, a target for Ekman Larson. We've talked about Boston because they have Krug coming off and Krug is expected to test the market and especially cash in a bigger team, like not a bigger team, but get a lot of money from a team like Detroit, potentially. Um, I've seen uh, New York as an option, but for me, that doesn't make sense. Regardless, if we were to expect him to be gone and we're expected Daniel Chara to be gone, would this make sense for the Boston Bruins? And uh, Nick, I'll ask you. No, I don't think so. Cause you know, I, I look at it now and Boston for the first time and, what feels like a decade is going to have some cap space to work with this summer. The only notable RFA they have is Jake DeBrusque. And I, I expect that they'll take care of him. Although, and we can get into it later. He did also move into the top 10 of TSN's trade bait list. He is on there now, uh, but I still expect that they'll sign him because, you know, Boston needs secondary scoring from forwards. And despite the fact that they're losing a good offensive force in Krug on the blue line, I I don't see Ekman Larson being the guy that can replicate that production. They have, they're going to have 14 million in cap space to sort of replace Krug and Chara and then uh, sign to brusque. And then if they have something left over, I expect that they'll target a forward, but 
I think they can rebuild their defense for a lot cheaper than the eight million that Ackman Larson comes on. I look at somebody like Dylan DeMello, uh, Brendan Dillon. Those are players that are going to be available this summer that I think Boston will be able to attract. And, you know, they're not going to cost too much and they're going to be effective. I don't see the sense right now in Boston using this cap space that they have for the first time in a decade and wrapping it up for seven years in Oliver Ackman Larson. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about that because I saw, I read earlier a couple of articles about potentially Boston moving on from Jake DeBrusque, which goes against what we've been saying before is keep DeBrusque and, and move on from Krug. Someone who would make a lot of sense and I, I'm not cap cap aside, but the trajectory, the age is Alex Petrangelo for the Boston Bruins. If they're, if they want to throw money at someone and they want to bolster their, their defense with someone who's actually proven and actually a good defenseman, Alex Petrangelo. And I think he would fit so well in yeah. Boston. I think yeah. they would be terrifying with him moving, losing Krug is tough. And, but I think, I think they'd be wise to let him walk because he's going to want more money, but you need help on defense. I'm not too worried about their forwards, but you look right now at their, their cap situation. It's not great on defense. Brandon Carlos one year removed from being an RFA. McAvoy is two years removed from being an RFA. I think it's best to let Chara Krug walk and move for someone like Petrangelo, maybe someone secondary like Kevin Shattenkirk. I don't think Ekman Larson, like you said, though they like the big names. I don't think that makes sense for Boston. Um, Luke, what do you think? I, I totally agree with kind of everything you just said. Um, Petrangelo over Ekman Larson for sure. But also I think Boston kind of, like I said about Vancouver, I think Boston has a lot of decisions to make within their team first. And obviously you guys have talked about that, but I, I don't, I don't know again, if they're in a position to, to make that, that commitment to Ekman Larson um, with, with the, with the cards they have right now. Okay. Well, let's, um let's move on then. Unless Nick, you have anything else to add on the, no, Larson. I think I'm good here. Um, Bob McKenzie dropped, did not tweet for a while. And then when he did, it was pretty, pretty large bomb and i'm gonna find it right now so he tweeted three days ago um imagine my surprise when i started making calls today and heard jack eichel trade rumors including un- unverified chatter he may have at some point recently requested a trade out of buffalo and that new york were among the in- interested teams this of course required further investigation um i hear that trade talk a lot eichel's agent said jack wants to win he's frustrated about not winning but no he doesn't want out jack is preparing to head to buffalo at some point um to prepare for the season whenever that may, may be that's all he controls so he said the first tweet and everyone's like oh my god jack eichel asked for a trade and then he replied just to say just to say no he actually didn't um ultimate trolling from the goat but um, it's confirmed. He didn't ask for a trade, but I think we all knew that Jack Eichel was pretty frustrated with Buffalo. Buffalo is a team that has not done a good job at surrounding him with talent. Um, he clearly is fed up and you can tell in his body language, you can tell in the way he plays. Um, do you think at a certain point, either of you, that he's going to ask for a trade? Well, it feels like we've been having this conversation the past two summers, you know, Jack Eichel looks like he's been fed up since his sophomore season Obviously, like any player, Jack Eichel wants to win and nobody can blame him at all because he is an effective player. He's one of the best in the NHL on his day. And like you said, Patrick, the Buffalo management to this point has done nothing to surround him with that. So I'm not surprised to see 
every summer that there's a lot more chatter around the possibility of moving Jack Eichel at some point, because I think Buffalo probably has a year two at the most right now to prove to Jack Eichel that they're headed in the right direction, or at least a different direction than what they've been on. I think we all thought they were sort of turning a corner two seasons ago when they brought in Jeff Skinner and that looked to be a hit right off the bat, but you know, clearly there have been some underlying issues with the roster that, you know, there's going to be a, a need for a lot more to fix. Ralph Kruger, maybe everybody thought they were going to take a step up again this year. And again, it did, just didn't work out that way. The fact of the matter is they need better talent to surround him with here. And I don't envy the position that the Buffalo Sabres are in right now because, you know, it's going to be a lot of work in this new cap world to sort of fit that in. But if the losing continues, I think we're going to see a lot more calls on his name. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say he's there yet. And obviously apparently he isn't because he's not asking for a trade, but like Nick said, like they're, they've got to, they've got to help him out eventually somehow, somewhere. I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it should be quite there yet, but, but deservedly so he he's, he is fed up and he's going to continue to get fed up. And and if, if, you know, things trend in the same direction for a few more years, I think it's almost inevitable. Yeah, look, um, I think this draft will really – draft in the offseason of free agency will really tell what, what Buffalo is trying to do. Um, we saw them reach and, and force centers or, or maybe make picks that were a little ill-advised at the time. You look at someone like Casey Middlestat, Dylan Cozens, who are fine hockey players, but Jack, or Jack Eichel needs a good – second line center he needs better wingers and i really hope for his case because i love jack eichel i hope they actually surround him with talent i could see him asking for a trade and we always talk about eichel and mcdavid two of the best players in the world right now playing for teams that have been poorly managed and just for the sake of the conversation if you guys were to bet because i don't think mcdavid is going to leave edmonton at any point if you were to bet on a player to ask for a trade first who would it be Eichel, it's got to be Eichel at this point, because at least, at the very least, the Edmonton Oilers have made the playoffs a couple of times, or the playoffs and the play-in, at least one each during McDavid's tenure, and he's actually played some competitive hockey, some meaningful hockey. It just doesn't feel like we've ever seen Jack Eichel in a game that means anything. Yeah, That's crazy, because he's one of the best talents in the NHL, and he's already been in the NHL quite a few years, so... You know, it just doesn't feel like he's been in anything meaningful. And that needs to change, I think. Yeah, it looks like, like, it just feels like McDavid has had more options to, more opportunities, excuse me, to sort of um, uh, command, you know, certain, even if it's just a game or, you know, certain situations. But like Nick said, Eichel's never really been been given any any chance to be, to have those those opportunities to, to do something like McDavid has um, has had not nothing major really like we talked about, but he's, he's definitely been there. Right. And I, I'll add also um, Eichel let's uh, let's move on and, and towards the trade talks as we touched on with Ekman Larson, um, the Patrick line, a trade talks are heating up and nothing, nothing really significant, but we know that his name is out there. He's still high on the TSN trade bait board. Um, we can look at front runners. I've seen, Ottawa's name, I've seen the Islanders' name, and I've seen Montreal's name. Now, apparently, Montreal's out on the line, a sweepstakes, according to LeBron. F- 
from everything I've noticed Montreal do, everything I've noticed Bergevin do, I don't think that's true. Not that they're going to get Line, but with Mark Bergevin, no one ever knows what he's going to do. All the insiders said that Subban was going to stay a Montreal Canadian and that Bergevin, in, under no circumstances, going to trade him. And the next day he pulls the trigger. So I'm just saying for, for that, I don't think Montreal is completely out. But if you are the Winnipeg Jets, and I want to ask you both this, because they're sort of in a weird situation right now. They've sort of sewered Patrick Laine through year after year, talking about their um, dislike for his defensive play, how he do, they don't want him playing with, with Mark Shifley. But at the same time, you have a 40-goal scorer who you can maximize value for. Who of the teams has the leverage? Because right now, I'm looking at other teams like Montreal, like Ottawa, like the Islanders, wherever he may go. I think those are the teams that have more leverage over Winnipeg because they know that Winnipeg undervalues him clearly. They know that Winnipeg has been vocal about not wanting to play with Shifley. They know that Winnipeg doesn't like his defensive game. There's allegedly a rift with Paul Maurice and Patrick Laine. For me personally, I think it's other teams with the leverage, and I don't think Winnipeg is in a good situation here. What do you guys think? I agree, and Winnipeg is kind of – they've kind of done it to themselves, obviously. I don't, I don't know why, why they've taken this path in, in putting line A on the market. It's kind of, yeah, kind of, kind of screwing themselves over, but yeah, you're totally right. These other teams that are going to call, they need, and they will realize that, but they need to realize that and take advantage of, of the position that Winnipeg has put themselves in and put line A in because clearly he's going somewhere. Um, so it, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be too hard to, to get him out of Winnipeg. Yeah, I, with Line, it's a confusing situation. I know what you're saying, Pat, with the Suring. I, I don't mind the criticisms of his defensive play because I think those like have some merit to them. And Patrick Line can definitely improve his all-around game. But I think I said a couple of weeks ago, what I don't get is the committing to him playing in a certain spot in the lineup already when we haven't had training camp or we don't even know when the new season's going to start that I think is a bit they it, it that's a weird thing to do for me so I I don't know they, I feel like a divorce is definitely coming between the two sides this summer um I said a couple of weeks ago when we were predicting where everybody ends up I think I said the Islanders were my front runner for him and I could totally see that um but yeah, I, I probably don't rule Montreal out quite yet. Although um, the last time Mark Bergevin took a swing on a high drafted winger, it didn't work out too well. So you. I would be skeptical. Yes. Um, okay. R- and Romanov, Romanov for Lion A. That would, I think that would be peak, peak Mark Bergevin. Yeah, it really would. That's the thing because uh, I'd be okay with giving up a Caulfield or the, or the 16th pick and, and Domi, Mete, whatever for that but again that's like most trades i don't want the pieces that winnipeg wants i don't want to give those up i don't want to give up kakanyami suzuki romanov is this a situation because look we know that if if ottawa is a trading partner for example if montreal is a trading partner partner winnipeg is going to ask for defensemen they have no defensemen they need left-handed defensemen they need defensemen regardless romanov would be that piece if it's ottawa they would want not a, maybe not shabbat but they'd want Strong. Brandstrom and you know that that maybe becomes depending on what Ottawa does at the draft and I know we're going to talk about this a lot on tomorrow's episode if Ottawa chooses to go with somebody like Jake Sanderson at fifth overall in the draft perhaps somebody like Eric Brandstrom becomes expendable so 
Yes, um, exactly. So uh, I, I agree completely and I think we'll see what happens, but is this a situation where a team like Winnipeg would go for, and we talked about this with Taylor Hall, qual uh, quantity over quality? Would they want multiple pieces to help in various positions over getting, let's say, a pure just one position player? What do you guys think? I think if I think Winnipeg is looking for, for quantity here. I don't think they're looking for quality. I think they want more depth. I think they want more help in all positions. Just personally, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think they do need uh, more quantity to uh, their system. I think they're they're looking pretty thin now in the prospect system because sort of everybody that they drafted years and years ago is sort of in that uh, NHL and then AHL, NHL bubble. So I think they do want to add some depth. But I do think they're also going to want at least one quality piece back that can maybe step into the NHL in the short to medium term. So like we said, from Ottawa, that would be a Brandstrom. From the Islanders, maybe somebody like Noah Dobson uh, would be a fit sort of around there. And like we said, Romanov probably from Montreal would be like, yeah. the, those all work positionally as well. Yeah. So I, I think they're going to go for quantity. I, I do agree with that, Pat, but I think they're going to want at least one piece in there that can sort of fit their short to medium term plans. Luke Burroughs, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with Nick. And I was kind of going to say that um, they, I don't think they can make that trade without, getting something back that that can apply now um that'd be pretty foolish of them i think because then you're kind of you're kind of leaning towards towards rebuilding and i don't think i don't think they're quite there yeah. but um yeah like i think i think the holes they have in their roster quantity is going to be is going to be the best way to go but just yeah. to reiterate, they've got to they've got to get something back to to kind of fill in whatever's left over right now. Yeah, and it it, se it seems weird from from Winnipeg. Really, this is someone who scored uh, forty four goals in twenty seventeen. This is a twenty two year old prolific scoring winger. Sure, he's not good at defense. Sure, his skating could be a little bit better. But at the end of the day, he's going to put the puck in the net, and he can do it. Um, like we're talking Ovechkin level production. Maybe that's hyperbole. I don't, I really don't think it is. I think he can score 40 to 50 goals a season. I really think he can. And yeah, he, he is one of the best, no matter what anybody thinks of his uh, sort of all around play, he definitely is and has proven to be one of the best pure shooters in the NHL, not completely unlike Alex Ovechkin. Obviously it's huge mm -hmm. stretch to compare him to somebody of that nature, Yeah. but there's no reason why, like you say, Patrick, Patrick Lyon, he can't score. 40 ish goals a year. There's no exactly. And, and we talked about earlier, look, Winnipeg with the team we saw, or we all thought would be like the next Canadian dynasty when they went to uh, the Western conference final, Winnipeg was the team. And, and now we're seeing, we're seeing now, like maybe not, maybe they're on the path to a rebuild. Anyway, uh, enough about Winnipeg, enough about um, Liney. Uh, we'll see what, we'll, we'll see where he ends up. And obviously we'll have lots to talk about there. Let's talk about the NHL season. And Nick, I'll hand this part over to you because I honestly have not read enough about this. And that is the hybrid bubble theory for the NHL or next NHL season, because look, hockey has to continue. Players need to make money. Networks need to make money. Um, owners, they need to make money. And again, in the midst of a pandemic, really unsure what's going to happen next season. So Nick, I'll just hand this over to you. Yeah. So I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more on this topic. You know, obviously right now we are in 
one of the busiest periods of the NHL calendar year. We're a bit later this year, but it is now draft and free agency season. And while most, if not all of our topics going forward are going to be sort of centered around those ideas, um, what the NHL is actually planning for next season is definitely going to be a storyline that we see come up throughout. And I'm sure we're going to talk about it more as more theories come up, but uh, I already wanted to talk about a couple that I've seen pointed out and one that I sort of thought of myself that I'm sure other people could agree with. Um, the NHL, obviously, and I, like we all talked about, or you two talked about at the beginning of the show, the bubble for the NHL was a massive success. And hands up here if you thought it was going to work when they announced it, because I, I don't think any of us would have our hands up. I think it was doomed from the start, but the NHL, to their credit, pulled it off. Now the challenge for them becomes how do you maintain sort of that protection for your players going forward across a full NHL season, no matter how long it is, that's going to be the question the NHL has to answer going forward. We've seen the NLB and major league soccer implement uh, non bubble sort of setups with travel to varying levels of success. But obviously in those situations, Toronto FC and the Toronto Blue Jays have both posted up and played in the United States due to travel restrictions. That becomes a bit more challenging in the NHL because there are seven Canadian hockey teams and obviously not enough NHL size rinks to go around likely or hubs. So Patrick and Luke, I pose to you an interesting question. Assuming the NHL goes with the traveling model that some of the other big four leagues have gone with, would you be in favor of a potential all Canadian division? That would be Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver playing against each other for an entire regular season worth of hockey games, no matter how long that is. Could be something like we saw in the lockout, around 48 games, could be even more. So you'd be playing each team in your division six to 10 times. Patrick? I know that was a long rant I just went on, but okay. how do you establish the boundaries here? That's Would okay. you be in favor of an all Canadian division just on the cusp of it here? So we're not factoring, we're not having an idea of how many games are being played. Can we have well, like a it, it's hard to number? say right now. Uh, I put sort of a six to 10 games against each team. So that would cover either, you know, like sort of a 48 uh, game season or, you know, something as high as like a 70 game season. It depends here, but we're going to assume that the Canadian government's travel restrictions will still apply at that time as we are in the second wave now of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're not sure what it's going to look like when the NHL starts. I would be okay with that. Uh, would be not talking to my Leaf fan friends as much. Would not be talking to you guys as much. I'd be probably more pissed off um, about hockey in general, but and as far as public health goes, as far as public safety goes, as far as keeping COVID cases down, I think this is the best, one of the best options, at least having uh, divisional hubs, whether or not it's Canadian, I'd be okay with the Canadian one, but again, you're going to have a hub for a city in Edmonton and Toronto or for cities for teams like Edmonton and Toronto, all in one hub. Again, it, it's, it comes down to having to see your family. It comes down to ex external factors, times when there are family emergencies. There's so many factors that go into it. It's really interesting, but I honest, if I were to put money on it now, I, I would I would assume that the NHL is going to go do something like the NFL is doing, and I think they're going to travel. I don't think they're going to do divisional hubs uh, like like it's being suggested. Nick, 
can I just confirm what you mean? You mean all of the Canadian teams playing out of their own cities, right? And just traveling across Canada? Yes, yes. That would be sort of, I think, what the Canadian government yeah. would at okay. least agree to. Yeah. So to what Pat said about he, you think they're going to travel like the NFL, I think if the NFL or if the NHL can travel, they will. But I really don't know. I don't think it's going to be up to them if they can make that happen. Um, we've seen the Canadian government's been pretty, been pretty intent on, on like we saw it with the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays are playing out of Buffalo. So uh, it, as for that Canadian division recommendation, I kind of have the same feelings I felt about going into these play-ins playoffs in Edmonton and Toronto. It super fun. Like it'll be, it'll be really exciting, uh, different, fun to watch is the integrity there of, you know, um, normal, a, a normal season and, and teams kind of, you know, a, a deservedly proper season. No, not really. It wasn't really there for these playoffs. It went fine. Again, super entertaining. Um, I, I just have questions about, is it too different? Is it, is it too far of a stretch to kind of make that, qualify as a as a normal nhl season to do that all year well that that's the thing you'd yeah. have to sort of even it up somehow for the 24 american teams maybe in that case you also divide them into divisions i think you'd have to eight, like east, eight Central, for the West. remainder yeah and they each have to play against yeah. each other for the same amount of games and then you're sort of taking the top four from each division that have played against each other, and then they will then move into a bubble setting and you know play for the Stanley Cup. I actually don't mind that because it's still four divisions, totally different divisions. Uh, like an all-Canadian division is including, I guess, is mixing three divisions, no Metro. But um, I don't I don't hate that. The only, the only big difference there is obviously you're only playing seven six or seven different teams throughout the whole season but as for having as for breaking up the divisions and and just totally mixing them up and basing them off of uh you know both political and physical geography yeah i i think that makes sense i just i just think you you'd lose a lot of integrity when when you're only playing six or seven other teams all year. And I think that's where the question will be, is that worth it? Or is Right. It so you definitely have to even it up, but I'll, I'll yeah. switch back to more. So just the topic of the idea of the division in itself, Patrick, like what would excite you about this? Obviously you're going to get a lot more rivalry based <laughs> games. Is this something that you could see fans getting behind? hundred percent. But then I also think over an overexposure to a rivalry and teams constantly playing this each other could um, what's the word I'm looking for? Could lower the animosity within the rivalry. If Montreal is playing Toronto or Boston, see, I, I, actually, I, I think I disagree with it as I, well. Okay, but now that you said I, you disagree, I can see why you disagree. So I'm <laughs> like, think I honestly it, see both sides. I think if Montreal's always playing Toronto, there, I Montreal playing Toronto four times a year, it's like oh my god, waiting for the next you know, waiting two months till they play again, wait, switching cities, you know, you remember Kapanen's stick throw, whatever, like, like the beef and having to wait for it, I think can build a rivalry. But also when you're saying you disagree, that also makes sense because you're just going to wait for the next one and you're more excited. So never mind, I don't disagree, but you, but we both make good points there. How I would see what this I would though, like the exciting part for me, and maybe Luke, you can speak a bit to this is 
it's almost like you'd be playing a playoff series against every other team. Yeah. And I think that would like it doesn't amp mean up, anything, but yeah. Right. It would amp up the animosity to a degree because, you know, Ottawa would go into a series against Vancouver knowing, hey, if we take four out of eight or uh, five out of nine against Vancouver, like we might have a real shot at like actually like pushing towards the playoffs or whatever. And not to say yeah. that Ottawa, Ottawa probably finished last in this case if we did this next year, but you know, Toronto and Montreal, Montreal thinking, Hey, if we take six out of 10 against Toronto, we can compete for the second and third spots in this division. Like that's yeah. a realistic proposition yeah. here. And it'll add a lot of new elements and levels to how fans kind of follow the regular season. I, I actually really like that, Nick. I think, I think you should, you should email Gary. Cause I think that's a really good idea. <laughs> do, you, do you guys think Gary Bettman would go for this? Does this make sense for the I, NHL? I think- I think seeing the whole bubble system here uh, in Toronto and Edmonton, I think it makes sense. But again, there's so many factors. These players, at the end of the day, I still they they care more about seeing their family. They 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 care well, they more would about see it. their family. But how often though? Well, it's, how often would they see their fa- how like if, if they're they're, in a all, bubble, they're all playing in their home cities. Wait, so they're, wait, they're not in a bubble. They're playing in their own. No, cities. no they would all be playing in their own, own cities. There would be no uh, bubble system I here. See. Yeah. Okay. You would be traveling. Would you be traveling more? Uh, uh, what do you mean? Like, would you be? No, you wouldn't. Never mind. No, that was a stupid question. Yeah, no. Yeah, because it'd still be 50-50. Yeah, it would still it'd yeah, be yeah. the same for everybody. Okay. Like the the same travel. Like everybody's gonna have to do the same <clears throat> amount of traveling, really. So. Like okay. It. Yeah, I misunderstood what you said. Yes, I like that. That makes great. That makes perfect sense. I think. Why yeah. Not? The only the only issue is playing a very few number of teams all regular season that's the only issue i'd have with it but you can't really fix that so yeah Yeah. all right well uh that's that's my proposition it's the canadian uh, all canadian division i think it's legitimately something the nhl should consider given the restrictions that would be in place from the canadian government it sounds like everybody here at least is a fan of it and i think if this were to sort of break i think that excitement around hockey in Canada that feels like it's been missing because there just hasn't been meaningful Canadian hockey played in the playoffs at least. And it feels like a long time where Canada has been on top, but it feels like with this, it could recapture some of that excitement. I don't know, Patrick, if you have any thoughts on that. Um, yeah. Or Luke. Luke, you can go ahead. Yeah, no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I, I entirely agree with you. I think, I think that's pretty important. Uh, you know, that, that excite, that excitement from fans. Um, I just, not to say that, that fans weren't, you know, so, uh, interested or enthused by, by these playoffs and play-ins. I love them, uh, personally, but, I don't think you can deny that it was very different and, Mm -hmm. you know, very unusual. And I use the word integrity um, and integrity in reference to sort of how the, the, you know, the, the, whatever regular season playoffs is structured and what it means. Um, And I think avoiding that as much as possible will be pretty critical, but but like you said, I, I, I do agree with you on the, on the level of, of, you know, returning to, to more normal uh, levels of excitement, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and I completely agree. And 
you know, like, like I said, this, I feel like if the three of us could easily get behind this and the yeah. amount of rivalry and excitement and the buzz that there would be around hockey again, finally in this country, I think if the NHL is considering something of this ilk, this would be a no brainer at this point. Yeah. So oh, yeah, I think just, yeah, yes, I agree. Yeah. So uh, Patrick, I guess we'll move back into goalies, bit of just a UFA type preview something that I'm sure we'll delve into again next week, but uh, the year of the goalie, the UFA class of 2020, Pat. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's touch on it. So um, in the cap era, do you guys think it's still possible for a goalie to be making, uh, should they be making $10 million? No, they shouldn't. They, well, okay. Actually, I take that back. Um, I do have an issue with goalie contracts. It more comes down to term though. If you're going to sign a goalie to $10 million, which I, I probably wouldn't do under any circumstances anyways, I'd sign him for one. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is actually an anomaly, though, because I wouldn't say that's – I don't think anyone would say that's a bad contract. Um, if I were to sign a goalie to $10 million, one year, two year, two years, absolutely max two years. Don't go any more than that. Uh, I don't think you should be signing goalies for longer than – five years anyways they're just they're so unpredictable um and not always in a bad way i just it doesn't make sense to be to be um to be locking into to such a long-term deal with such a unpredictable type of player sometimes obviously the team locks out and they've locked down this goalie on a on a good contract that that heats up and sometimes it goes the opposite i just don't see any reason why why you would sign a goalie long term so but the 10 million the 10 million yes two years absolutely max wait really you would go 10 million dollars a year for a goalie one two years absolutely max but do you think now that becomes hard given like the current climate of the nhl because obviously we're in a flat cap era now and there are so very few NHL goalies that are up in near that number. That's what I'm saying. If you are signing a goalie for that much money and it's not, it's not like totally um, out there. It's not like it's ever going to happen. It does happen. If you are signing a goalie for that much, you better be doing it for one, two years max. But that goalie, you, if there's a goalie that good worth that much, you'd want him long-term. You wouldn't want But him. I'm saying you can't commit to goalies like that. Well, not anymore. I like, I, I, think I, I, I said that's an anomaly. Like I, <laughs> um, okay. I, I wouldn't because I think goalies are so weird and they're so inconsistent and we see it every year. You need most of the teams. They ride a hot goalie and hot goalies are so inconsistent. It happened with Craig Anderson in the sense when he's on, he was on it, it. It's not about, I don't think it's as much about consistency. And I just personally, I think that's a lot of money to throw at a goalie. And if we're I agree with you, I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you guys. I just like, think because I, I it does give, happen. I wouldn't give the best goalie more than, um, I don't know, more than, more than 9 million. I, I think 9 million is a lot. I think the Bobrovsky contract, I think the price contract, and I'm not trying to criticize Carey Price because he is an unbelievably talented goaltender. 10.5 for that much term is a lot of money <clears throat> when Price won't score goals. And a goalie can only stand on their head so Price much. Price needs to be Price, scoring more goals. I agree. Price Price can only stand on his head so much when the team in front of him is still not that good. Whereas someone like a McDavid, someone who's a center or, or a prolific defenseman can probably carry you more than 
than a goalie can. And I think we've just seen too many teams ride hot goalies and, and find success over a team building around a goalie. If we're talking about price specifically, but if we're talking about general money, I don't think, I, I think 10 million is a, a lot for a goalie. That's all. Now, if you guys look at the top 20 on cat friendly, like sort of free agent goalies that are available. Um, I'll just read off some of this to you. Henrik Lundqvist is 38. Braden Holpe is 30. Corey Crawford, who looks like he's headed that way is 35. Robin Leonard, the youngest of the bunch is 28. Jacob Markstrom is 30. Is that concerning at all going to be concerning now? Because in the flat cap world where every contract is going to mean so much now, is it going to be a problem for GMs to just hand out big money to older goalies like this? And I know goalies start later than most other positions, but that's a tough thing to swallow and a tough thing to stomach right now. Um, and given the current cap climate, in my opinion, at least, I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that. Luke, you can go ahead. I, yeah, like it's, it's definitely going to change how goalies are, are acquired and signed. Um, and, and I, like, I'll just, I'll continue to reiterate. I don't think you should be signing goalies for, for long-term. I've never believed in that. So like, I'm looking at this list um, and obviously all these guys, like you said, Nick, they're, they're pretty old, but if I'm looking at Jacob Markstrom and like th- this list, it's a, it's a good list. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, quality starters on this list or maybe former starters. But like, if I look at Jacob Markstrom and say, I'm not in the Vancouver Canucks and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what he's done. I, I, I would see kind of a, kind of a a risk even with someone now yeah i'm biased but even with someone of his caliber as a gm signing him um to to a to a longer contract to lock him down as your starter i think i think uh in an ideal world goalies would kind of would kind of understand the market as well um from both perspectives but it's going to be really interesting because i think this offseason and next offseason uh goalies are going to be acquired under very different circumstances. And it's kind of going to set a precedent for even when, when the NHL does kind of um, fall back into, into normal progressive uh, salary caps. Uh, I agree. I don't have much to add. I think Luke summed up my thoughts, but um, yeah, if we want to, right. to, do you guys want to talk about the courses? Yes. Yeah, so the, um, we had this and I'll, I'll give it over to you, Nick, in a second, just to sort of tee this up. Um, the Corsis. That's, that's actually a pretty good like band name or show name. The Corsis. Oh, all right. Well, okay. We'll never mind. That in, the, we'll uh, in case we ever decide take to take doesn't cut it. <laughs> um, Welcome so to we, the Corsis on the yeah. Burner Network. Anyway, so we had this discussion, um, I think last year when we were back in the studio about analytics, advanced analytics. And um, I want to just sort of tee up how we can talk about how we got into analytics, but I remember just quick, real quick before I give this to you, Nick, when I came on Twitter, I went on Twitter in like the height of the Chris Russell debate between <laughs> the analytics community and the eye test community. And that's when I was like, okay, whoa, something, the vibe is off right now on Twitter clearly. <laughs> and just the animosity, like the, the disagreements got so personal uh, from people who liked just watching the games with their eyes and, and people who, who were big into analytics. And that's when I was like, Hey, there's like a serious divide right now. And again, since then I've always 
followed analytics, but I'm going to hand it over to you, Nick, because this is an interesting conversation. I feel like we'll be, there'll be more common ground, but it should still be a good one because we wanted to have this one. Uh, for a Yeah. While. I know Patrick and I at least have a lot of common ground in some of this, but the, there are definitely some uh, areas where we tend to gris- disagree when it comes to analytics. Um, first of all, I'll preface this sort of why we're, I, I think we're sort of talking about it now. It is crazy season in the NHL draft season, free agency season, This is where the most amount of trades happen. It's the busiest time, busiest area with transactions in the NHL year. Everything that happens from every team is going to be under the microscope. We've already seen moves since the playoffs. uh, Some sort of teams were eliminated. Some signings, some trades that have happened already that have been, uh, that have divided people, quite frankly. So we're going to talk about analytics, uh, sort of, First of all, all our general thoughts, what we think about it, and then we're going to move into maybe some sort of debate, debating topics that we can look at some sort of case studies. So uh, I will start with uh, Luke. Luke, what do you like about analytics and hockey? What do Luke's, you use them for? Luke's like twitching. I, I'm ready to go here. <laughs> what do I like about analytics in hockey that is a great question nick i think now i'm gonna get very personal and i'm gonna get very meta about what the nhl is i watch i've always watched the nhl i've always watched hockey because it's fun because it's entertaining i'm in sport media we're all in sport media but i watch the nhl for entertainment not as sort of a hobby to, to watch and then read and then uh, analyze and kind of discuss with myself and with others. I watch it predominantly for entertainment. What I don't like, now, actually, you know what? I'll say what I do like. Analytics, I think it's awesome. I think... Yeah, th- this is the what do you like portion. Yeah. I think we're going to get <laughs> yeah. into the what I'm you don't like. Very He's so rattled right now. So be, be careful not to just completely crap on the analytics movement yet or if that's what you're going to do. You have so, so many points to get what through. you like so far. I love the movie Moneyball. I think that's a great movie. One of my favorite movies. Um, I think analytics, it's it brings an entirely new side to, to consuming the NHL. It, you know, it didn't exist to, to average consumers like us 15 years ago. It's it's bringing an entirely new element to how you can how you can watch and perceive the NHL, and that's awesome. And there's so much um, there's so much that is solid to analytics. And it's like I'm not I'm not arguing with the numbers. I think analytics are incredibly applicable and incredibly smart. Um, and just I, I don't think anyone can argue that they're relevant when you are constructing an NHL team. That is why I like analytics and I will pause before I continue. All right, Patrick, Um, what do you like about analytics and hockey? What do you use them for? So just to touch on what Luke said, 100% agreement. I love hockey because it's fun. It's entertaining. I love the hits. I love the goals. I love the fights. That's a conversation for another day. Um, Oh, we'll get into that again. No, Um, it's fun. It's chaotic. It's so much fun to watch. And I like looking at players. I look looking at, like looking at prospects, like looking at NHL players, um, players on different teams. And if I'm looking at a trade or I'm looking at a signing, I want to look at the best way to evaluate 
the signing and the player itself. And I think when you're looking to evaluate a player, especially one you haven't looked at or seen enough of, if we're talking about Ekman Larson, for example, I want to get all of the data that I have at my disposal to, to evaluate that player as well as watch some tape. That's, I think that's the best way to do it. I'd, I would never advocate for data only, and I would never advocate for just watching the games. But I think when you're evaluating something, you should want to factor in every single thing you can possibly. And I think analytics is one of the best ways to do that. Nick and I, we, we, we're subscribed to uh, Evolving Hockey and Hockey Viz, which give out the Rapum charge. They, they give out the heat maps. I think those are unbelievable tools that everyone should be willing to use because it shows great elements to a player's two-way game. So that's why I like them. And I, I think more people should be encouraged to use them. It's, it's a good way to evaluate a player and you can go on natural stat trick. But the problem is, and this is, I'm not saying why I don't like analytics. So, because I know we're going to get to that. It's so broad. There are so many analytics. When we talk about analytics, usually the three of us, or when we talk with our friends about it, we're talking Corsi, expected goals for Rapham charts, heat maps. Those are the four I think we would agree we all use mostly. There's Fenwick, there's high danger uh, Corsi for um, high danger scoring chances for those are the other ones. But if we're talking about those four, those are so important to take into account when evaluating a player. And once you understand them, I think it's, it's, it's clear that it's, it's a great tool to use. All right. Uh, I will hop into my answer for this section. Uh, the thing I like about hockey analytics the most is, and Patrick touched on it there. I like the visual side the most. I like being able to see beyond what I'm looking at when I watch a hockey player on the ice. I like a visual component that tells me what exactly a player is and isn't doing well. I just think it adds another element to how we perceive data and how we perceive what we're watching. Because a lot of the times I think our eyes tend to deceive us. And I'm sure that sort of phrase is going to come up a lot of the time. Nothing anybody does in their life is 100%. How do I phrase this? Accurate to like what you see, whether it's something you're doing in a job, something you're doing for school, it always helps to have some sort of second set on it. And I think hockey analytics can provide that. That's the part I like about it. Like I said, we use the heat maps pretty frequently frequently on here. And we have used a couple of Rapham charts here. I'm just going to pull one up quickly. Just an example of a heat map visual sort of thing that I tend to look at. We have used them on the show before, but um, like you said, Patrick, these sort of things, it's uh, something we started to pay for, something we started to look at more. So here's one, uh, for example, for Thomas Shabbat, you can see his offensive impacts and his defensive impacts, as well as how good of a shooter he is compared to sort of league average. And I think looking at stuff like that really helps break down what a player does well. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's what, I, that's what I use it for. And just, that's what I like about it. Just to add on our eyes deceiving us, because I think if you're watching Nick, you're watching Kachuk and you're watching Hughes and I'm watching Kotkaniemi, we're less likely because of our bias and because of our fandom for our team and our players to see our uh, favorite player make a mistake. And we know this. And there are times when I'm watching Montreal and it's like, oh, okay, I'll pretend I didn't see that. Whereas someone you really dislike, let's say you can't stand watching Nikita, Nikita Zaitsev, Nick, or, or you can't, I don't know who you don't like on Vancouver, for example, but they make a mistake. You're more likely to notice it. And that's, that's just a perfect example of what Nick said. Your eyes deceive you. you you're not, you're not going to notice um, 
a player making a mistake unless you really don't like them. Not that, not that it's, unless it's really obvious, but that's the thing is like what you see. And it also depends on how you value what you see. And I wrote about this yesterday and we can look at players like Nate Thompson on Montreal or Jay Beagle on the Vancouver Canucks role players, uh, those gritty fourth liners that teams want for a presence. And this sort of ties into hitting where the analytics community would see someone who hits a lot and is as someone who's chasing the play. Whereas someone who doesn't hit a lot is seen as soft, even though they're more likely to have possession of the puck. Right. Yeah. Nick, would you agree with that? And that sort of ties into the debate of what makes a strong player and and where grit ties into this. And I don't know if you guys want to expand on that or you want to go to the next topic. I just thought that was, yeah, I'll head to the next topic. Then this will, this will sort of go hand in hand with it. Luke, what would you say are the strengths of analytics in hockey? Again, producing, you know, like you said, Nick, that that secondary aspect. And I think secondary is the key word. Uh, and I think a lot of people in the analytics community rely on analytics as your primary source of deciding whether a player is good. And I totally understand that argument. Personally, I disagree with it. I don't think analytics should dominate why you perceive a player as good or bad. I get, I, I so what get should though negatives in a second, but Oh, what should like, I, if you're saying we're not looking at that, what are we looking at? I, I don't think analytics should dominate that decision. I think it should be a mix. And I will be honest. I'm, I lean more on, I guess I test than analytics at, at most either way it should go 60, 40, but I think a lot of people, it's like 80, 20 in how they, they say, right. you know, for either anal- side. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, sure. Mm. Um, but I just think, and I'm, if, and I'm going to kind of move on to why I don't like analytics. I might be getting ahead of ourselves. Well, yeah, here. I was going to say, I, I was going to go around. We were going to get to, okay. Two I'll, I'll pause again. Like I will wait for my time. <laughs> It's going to flip his computer in two seconds. (laughs) Patrick, strengths of analytics for you. Yeah, basically, I kind of touched on it before, but what I said is it's just just a good tool. It's a good way to evaluate a player. If you want to know more information on a player, especially a player you haven't seen, look at the map. And that doesn't, for me, and I'm going to say this, and as much as I love analytics, I won't decide if a player is good at hockey or not, judging solely on their heat map. I will say that. As much as I love the heat maps, I love the wrap-em charts, I won't say that a player is so good because of it. But I think it's an important tool, just like wrap-up charts, just like goals and assists, just like ice time, just like um, zone starts. I think it's an important tool and that's a strength. And I think people should be more encouraged to use them. And I think the people that write them off um, are, are missing out on, on, on being able to learn more about a player or a specific situation. All right, I'll be pretty specific with uh, the big strength for me in using analytics as a tool. Specifically for me and through what I've learned, I really like using advanced data to analyze established NHL talents. You know, guys that are, they are what they are. They're not tweeners. They're not bouncing between the NHL and NHL. Guys that are in the NHL that have either moved around from team to team or they have played a, you know, more than just a sample size of games. They played like a large, not a large per se, but they played, you know, I would say just over a season in the NHL. Specifically then, I think you can begin to analyze what exactly they do well and using sort of that information, decide 
you know, what situations they should be used in, uh, in your opinion, or who they should be playing with, what they do well, what they don't do well. I think specifically in that case, for me at least, that's been um, something I've really liked, being able to analyze guys that are mainstays, uh, whether it be for the Senators or anybody else. Just it's a tool that, you know, just help. It, it, it's a series of tools that just helps better inform you as to who this person is and what they're doing well, what they could be doing better. Uh, Luke, weaknesses and dislikes you have <laughs> for analytics. All right. <laughs> My issue with analytics. And again, I'm going to get very personal yeah, let's fight. Obviously, it's my yeah. I'm gonna get very personal with you guys. <laughs> no, I'm gonna get very personal with my like with myself, my thoughts. Obviously, I think, like I said, I grew up watching hockey because hockey was fun. Hockey was entertaining. The NHL was fun for me to watch, and I find now that I have kind of surrounded myself with kind of the a different nerds. level of fans. The nurse. Um, I won't. I won't say that. But I just think analytics. For example, when a transaction happens, a trade, a signing, whatever, and the analytics community starts talking about it, I find they they'll post the heat map or <laughs> one of your one of those charts and. They will say, this is good, this is bad. Like, it's not up for discussion. They will say, based on our numbers, this is this is how good it is, this is how bad it is. And it's like, well, okay, like, if you think that, then what's the point of really talking about it? It's like, here's the proof why it's bad. It's bad. That's it. Like, I feel like there's not much room for discussions, debates, arguments, and I will concede you guys are far more into that um, community than I am. So you, you will see much more of it from than me, but from what I see, it's just people relying too much on these analytics and not really even forming their own opinion. They just look at the analytics and let the analytics form their opinion for them. So that's where I get frustrated because like I said, I've grown up watching watching hockey because it's entertaining and I form my own opinions based on relatively I guess basic stats and and the games that I watch obviously over the past two three years that's changed a lot because I've I haven't really had a choice than to than to kind of push myself into analytics a bit to understand what people are talking about but I just think analytics I guess for lack of a better term, can be abused and people people use the analytics almost almost as that's what they prefer doing than actually watching the game or following the sport. They just they follow the analytics and they say Okay. You had me. You had me. Can yeah, I okay. Sorry. So here I will I will pose now just sort of a counter question, Luke, and you can answer and Patrick can chime in on this. You had me for so much of that, but the end, no. Which part? Besides, besides the overall nastiness of the analytics community, there's a lot. Which is true. Twitter, Twitter is an absolute degenerate pool for yes, you know, just 
it's the worst at times. And, you know, while it has taught me a lot about the sport, like, man, it just makes me hate it sometimes. But I'll pose this question to you, Luke, and Patrick, you can chime in. Is a hockey player's ability something that's subjective, like, or like opinion based? We can all chime in and this is what I think, this is what you think. Or is when you're trying to evaluate if somebody's good or good or bad, is it a yes or no question as in he's good or he's not? Because I think analytics help form a clear cut opinion on yes or no. The simple, but I don't think it's an opinion. I think analytics uh, help people make that decision. It's it's not an opinion, but that's what I'm saying. It helps. If you and I, for instance, Chris Russell, the most divisive (laughs) player in analytics history. If we're trying to answer the question, is Chris Russell good or bad i think analytics answer that question i think you can look at his numbers and say oh concretely he's bad okay can i jump in because hold on yeah but when (laughs) we're talking about the player is it important to have other people come in well he does this well well he does this well well that's true but you can look at the numbers and just make a simple determination he's good or but i don't think you can make a simple determination based on the numbers okay I'm going to jump in here because Nick, you made a good point. And Luke, I agreed with you so much up until you said. Until what? Which part? Until you said, but I like to watch. It's like, okay, I get that. And I honestly think, and I'm not saying you, so much of the eye test only community thinks that analytics are just jumbles of random numbers. A lot of the analytics that we see and use are Corsi, for example. I was like, oh, but what's the Corsi as a joke? It's like someone is tracking that. Someone is watching the game. These analytics, this data is tracked by people who actually watch the game. But it's all and, it's and all the, objective. Yeah, it's objective. Right? That's the point. That's the point. And that's what that leads me to my that's next also point. Is, the, yeah. Okay. And you said, I want to see a player play well. And that and this is where we get into the whole eye test discussion where I always value analytics in this specific situation. And, and that is a player's defensive play. And this is what you said. If you want to see a good defensive play, you might look to a block shot and you might think, okay, hey, Chris Russell blocks a lot of shots. He must be a good defensive player. The analytics community would say, okay, if Chris Russell is only known for blocking shots and players like Chris Russell are acquired to block shots, chances are Chris Russell's not going to generate a lot. And the data confirms that and watching it confirms that. I don't think a player who always blocks shots is a good defenseman. If that's what you're known for, you're probably not a good defenseman where this is where the subjectivity in it comes in because you're saying, I want to watch. I'm not saying you with Chris Russell, but just for this example, they might say, okay, well, he blocked that shot. He blocked that shot. It's like, okay, he's allowing chances in front of him. He's allowing shots being when he's on the ice, he's suppressed. He's, he's not suppressing shots at all. That's where it depends what you watch and what you're looking for. I think if you're always allowing shots, you're probably bad. You're probably not good at the sport. Here's where I get personal. And I know, I know for a fact. Is that fair? Yes. No, that is fair. And here's where I get personal. And I know for a fact that I am wrong to a lot of people. And this is just me and how I perceive the sport and how I've watched the sport. Using, let me gather my thoughts. Using analytics is like, it's like, Watching the sport, I just, I don't understand the point in, in, in basing your opinion wholly. And I'm not, again, not saying either of you do this, but basing your opinion wholly off 
off the numbers that you see. I don't understand why people, unless you're literally in a, in a management position, why people would want to form their opinion from that. I, I don't, I don't know why, why people think they need to do that. There, it leads to no discussion. It leads to no debate. If when people say, does there have to be a debate? That that, that was the question I tried to pose earlier. Does there have to be a debate on a player's ability? Because sometimes sometimes there doesn't. What's the point otherwise when you say, look at this, this player X is, is good. And, and people want to disagree, but, but certain people in the analytics community won't even have time for that because they use what they, what they see on their, whatever and they they base their opinion off that and they don't open up to any discussion because because the numbers don't lie don't okay lie. so I, I i get what you're saying i want i want, I want to hear nick i feel like sorry can I, I'll, I'll make, can sorry, I'll make I this quick that. i'll make this quick because i get what you're saying yeah and there are there are players that i don't I don't look at and I think, okay, his analytics are good. He's a good hockey player. We can talk. Nick and I can go back and talk about the David Schlemko days. Oh, man. I was going to bring that up, but I didn't want to. (laughs) I did not like him because I did not like what I saw. I am not discrediting the eye test and I am not only using analytics as my tool. But it, it goes back to what you're looking for in a player. And I think sometimes, yes, a discussion has to be had about a player who has good analytics or bad analytics. But let's say... Vancouver was going to pick up, let's say they signed Joel Edmondson. This is a perfect example of when I was like, okay, let me see all the data and let me look into time on ice. Let me look at just stats in general, because there's so many things I had to go into that. I wrote it off as a bad signing. I still think it's a bad signing. Who knows? Maybe Joel Edmondson will put up 40 points next year. Who knows? He could do it, it. It's not impossible for a player with a terrible yes. track record to all of a sudden improve. Yes. Look at this year's Norris winner. But because I don't watch a lot of St. Louis games, but from what I've read about it, he wasn't liked there. He wasn't liked, not in St. Louis, sorry, Carolina. I can look at it and I can say, okay, does he generate offense? No. And the heat map tells you that. It tells you that. And most heat maps that are blue in the offensive zone and red in the defensive zone. And his point totals also tell you that. that Those go hand in hand. It tells me that he's probably not that good. And maybe that could flip when he joins Montreal. I'm not saying that what you are analytically on one team is going to be the same because stats fluctuate, analytics fluctuate, and no one says it's as is. But picking up the Joel Edmondson that was in Carolina and him putting him in Montreal is probably not a good move unless he somehow miraculously changes his game. And I think that's a perfect tool to say, no, he's probably not that good defensively. Sorry, Nick, Luke and I have been going back and forth. What, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, a couple of things I, w- I just wanted to add in. I think uh, sort of towards what we were saying, I think, uh, and Pat, you really delved into it. I think they're a good tool, obviously, when it's somebody you don't know or somebody you don't watch, because then you can sort of just take a glance and see, okay, they're doing this, 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 and this, good or bad. It's, a, it's good when you don't know anything about the player. Obviously, every time the Senators bring something in, the first thing I'm going to check is his maps, his micros, everything like that, just because I want to get a feel for what they're acquiring based on track record. But like any person, you want to see them play. You want to see if that's like what that looks like on the ice because I'm sure you guys can agree anytime Montreal or Vancouver brings a new player in, whether that's through free agency or trade, you're probably looking at for, at them or looking for them every time they're on the ice, right? Because you want to see what this player does and doesn't do. 
And I think, especially for incomings and things you don't watch, analytics really can maybe build that bridge in your mind. There's so, the, the other thing too, and we could spend hours talking about this. There are so many micros that go into building. The general idea of advanced stats is the Corsi, Fenwick, all the buzzwords. Expected goals for whatever. Expected goals. There are so many micros that go into what makes a player effective or good that, you know, we, we don't even think of half the time that like we, you know, if we sat here and talked about it for an hour about a certain player and there's certain micro stats, yeah, we could, you know, get an idea of what they do well, what they don't do well, but there are so many more that are outside of just general public knowledge. Like Luke, I'm sure I could rattle off 50 for you that like, you know, you wouldn't even know what the heck I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. Big, big nod of the head. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's just the reality of analytics and hockey and something that I don't think a lot of people realize there is so much more than just a few big buzzwords that go on. And with the NHL and their player tracking, the amount of micros and things we use to determine a player's value and a player's worth is only going to grow. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to add here just real quick. Sorry, yep. Luke, because okay. all the amazing NHL players that we can name, the top 50 players have good analytics, right? The secondary middle six players typically have good analytics unless they're playing way out of their element. The players that people debate over are the players, the Ryan Reeves, the Nate Thompson's, the Jay Beagle's, those players do those players have a role sure the, the joel edmondson's the, the defensive defenseman chris russell all of those guys do they have a role probably and that's where it comes down to the eye test because we can all watch the top 50 nhl players and say holy crap we're all watching it they're amazing the stats back it up as well the players that get where the analytics community and the stats community debate over are like those those role players and again I, we talked about it a couple weeks ago after that vancouver vancouver vegas game when everyone who was watching was like, Oh my God, Ryan Reeves is just bullying them. Oh, he's playing. He's just in their heads. And it's like, okay, because you see that. And maybe that there's truth to that. And maybe, you know what, there were players in the Vancouver Canucks who were afraid to face Ryan Reeves. That's fine. But you looked at it, Ryan Reeves, who was bullying them, who was intimidating them and doing all of these things had like a 30% Corsi and Vancouver dominated his line. They dominated in possession. They dominated in chances for uh, Corsi for Fenwick. All the metrics showed that what people thought they were seeing weren't true. And these metrics are tracked by people who watch the game. But That's how do you know, how do you know those metrics are a good reflection of Ryan Reeves effect on Vancouver's well, well, because at the end of the day, the idea of a hockey game is to score more than your opponent. And when you are putting more chances towards a goal than your opponent you're typically yeah. more likely going to score than them. Yeah, if, if Vancouver so, has a, a over 50, 60% Corsi at the time, if they're dominating the expected goals for, they're dominating the high danger scoring chances and they're shooting within the, whatever the shape is, if they're shooting in the high danger area in the slot and they're in Vegas' zone, fine. Then I want more, I want Ryan Reeves to bully Vancouver. You would want yeah. Reeves to Vancouver bu- bully Vancouver more because when he's doing that, Vancouver is at their best. And that's, that's where I'm saying this is where the eye and the eye test and the analytics community should actually come together 
and work on an not an agreement, but like come to some sort of <laughs> the, the, the peace treaty. Of, of yes. NHL <laughs> come to some sort community. of. Uh, I don't. I guess I could say agreement or, or like agree, agreement to disagree that those players have a role, but what you're looking for can be reflected in data. And this whole Ryan Reeves thing, I think is a perfect example. And I will um, jump into one more thing. I'm not saying that blocking shots makes you a bad player. There are plenty of excellent defensive plays that have been a block shot that Mitch Marner one from the Boston series when they were going to give him the purple heart for that big block. Like that's amazing. That's a great shot block. That's a great defensive play. And that doesn't make you a bad player. Right. But if you're doing it all the time. Exactly. And it that, points that's to where it goes back issue. to what you're looking for. If you're looking for a player to block shots and you think blocking shots is good, then of course you're going to trust the eye test. But if you think blocking shots is bad, then you're going to, you know, not trust it. So, right. And it, Patrick, I think you did uh, hit like a good line there. You know, the top players in the league do have good analytics. And I think that's something, you know, that we lose sight of because the big debates around it are centered around the role of players and those players that maybe aren't so important in the game uh, as the superstars. Because all the superstars in the NHL, save for maybe a couple, have good analytics. It's mostly all in the fourth line, the bottom defense pairing that we begin to debate everything. And it just depends on what your idea is of how you think a roster should be filled out you know uh i haven't said it so much since we've been on barn burner but you guys know i'm still of the opinion that you know i would be okay if the senators phased out all physicality and went full skill four lines six defensemen uh, and that's and where i would some, disagree some skilled two yeah. goalies i don't i like i don't have any uh i don't have any need or desire myself to see uh big hits fights or anything like that because yeah. you know I, I still think it can be an effective thing because you know I don't need the big eye popping plays I'm okay with watching skill and then looking at my graphs um yeah that, that's where I disagree because you know I love I love like big hits are funny when someone gets <laughs> just stapled to the boards and the glass breaks it's funny it's see I'm okay funny. with it but I you know sometimes it. they mix I think players <laughs> like uh the Kachuk brothers for instance there's a way to use hitting in a way that is effective to a team's mm -hmm. analytics. Brady Kachuk and Matthew Kachuk are excellent examples. They both use their physicality to forecheck, get the puck, cycle the puck, and create chances. Same thing they use it in the defensive end to move players off of the puck. Like There is a way to get a best-of-both-worlds type scenario here. Um I'll leave just a couple more things, um, a couple more debate topics. Like there have been a lot of case studies in the NHL. Um, there's a lot of examples of where analytics have been used in a larger front office and they've either done good or they have done poorly. Um, obviously the Toronto Maple Leafs are at the center of all that. Kyle Dubas is a analytics GM. Uh, that's what he's known for. We've talked about the Leafs a lot. I'll lead into some maybe other ones. New Jersey Devils, for instance, upped their spending in the analytics department last year. They brought in Matt Kane and Tyler Dello, who are heading it over there. Eric Tolsky in the Her Carolina Hurricanes is one. Uh, I'm going to hate myself for this. I forget the Pittsburgh analytics uh, department head was a big focal point of the two cup winning uh, teams in 2016 and 2017. 
do you guys think that more teams should look towards an analytics model in their front office, having it play a big part in personnel decisions? I'll point to somebody like Florida, where at least that one year where they tried it with Tom Rowe, it did not work out. Do you guys think more teams should look at implementing this at a larger level? Luke, go ahead. Yes, I think they should. And that might be kind of contradictory to what I was saying, but I think the key thing here is, like I said, if you're in a management position on a team, you should absolutely be using analytics, probably more than an eye test. I honestly believe that. that it's your job to construct the best team possible. And I am, I'm, I probably am underestimating analytics, but I'd like to think I, I see analytics place. And when you're putting together a team, they're hugely important. The only reason I would disagree with that is from a fan perspective, I see much, much less reason to be honest, to care about that. And I know that's a very, very kind of hollow and general statement, but in short, to answer your question, Nick, Yes, if, if you're in a management position and you're not using analytics, that is incredibly short-sighted. Patrick? Um, yeah, I think every team should be encouraged to, to do this. We've talked, and we can all agree, the old hockey men who the more big crowd to get me the grit and get me all the size, <laughs> those GMs, sometimes, and sometimes it's needed. Again, and this is a whole other discussion about grit and skill, and I think there's it's important to have grit. It's important. I don't know if size is necessarily uh, an objective, but it's important to be gritty and it's important to, to hit and play physical and be a physical team. And that's sort of where Nick and I would have a disagreement because I do believe in that stuff. And I do think there's a place for that. And I think it's, it's almost better if we have a separate conversation with analytics yeah. and then one with like grit and yes, physicality I, yeah. and filling out a team. It's almost better if we have that. Yeah. Cause it's possible. And again, that ties back to what you, when you look for in a player, someone who's hitting a role player like Jay Beagle or Nate Thompson if they're hitting, it's like, man, there's such a presence on the fourth line. It's like, yeah. And if they're that presence and they have good underlying numbers, great. But if they're chasing the play and they don't have the puck and they're just hitting to, to stir it up, then I don't see that uh, value. And it's obviously not reflected on the, on the data. Um, as we wrap up here, is there anything else we wanted to add on the analytics? Uh, side? No, I think there's lots we agree on. Obviously there is some parts that we disagree on, but I think generally it's, you know, I think here we're at least all pretty good and thinking progressively and, you know, wanting to see more teams use data that's available to them. How I always was, will see it. There's data there. The owner should be on every team to use data, use it. It's available. Please Pierre Dorian. <laughs> um, uh, you specifically Pierre Dorian, uh, Patrick, I don't know if you want to wrap up, tee up tomorrow's episode. Yes. Maybe a bit. Um, first of all, this has been by far my favorite episode we've done here on burn burner talking with you guys, great discussions. And, um, we'll continue to be friends even though we disagree i hope um Maybe. as we wrap up here tomorrow luke will not be on the show we have a guest rain hernandez we had him on in our before we were with barn burner um works for mckean's hockey and as a scout for the oakville blades teeing up the draft teeing up prospects looking at montreal's prospect pool ottawa's prospect pool vancouver chicago what goes into to rain rain's mindset as a scout what he wants to talk about all that stuff it's going to be a lot of fun We're really excited for it we'll take questions in the mailbag as well as i saw we had some draft questions as well didn't get to the, uh we weren't able to get to that today in today's show but as we wrap up here i do want to remind everyone that this show can be heard on barn burner radio network on its 122 platforms check out all of it on barnburner.ca for all the news and updates gentlemen thank you so much for being here and uh, we'll see you tomorrow tomorrow by the way seven to eight take it easy